Have you ever experienced the hollowness of hopelessness? That empty feeling in the pits of your stomach that leaves you feeling hopeless, like all hope is lost. It's a sickening feeling. It is only a few years ago, I personally felt like this. The Springboks had lost 57-0 in <laughs> New Zealand. And I really wondered whether all hope was lost for our nation. I can deal with a infrastructure and ec economy under pressure, but the Springboks, 57-0 in New Zealand. I remember watching that game here in Warehouse One with the men who were serving the ladies at our women's conference. It was as if we had come to church to mourn the loss of a dear loved one. And it was that day that I realized men don't talk about their feelings. The game ended and there was just absolute silence. Everyone just went to their different stations. Not a smile was had in the parking lot or the, or, or the coffee shop. But praise God for hope restored in the Springboks. Amen. But that feeling of the hollowness of hopelessness, the emptiness, is a real experience for all of us, it seems, at some stage of our lives. And perhaps you've arrived here today or tuned in online feeling somewhat like that. You may have experienced the disappointment of some kind or an unmet expectation, a shattered dream or a hope deferred a failure from yourself or from someone close to you that creates a hollow within and a question that hollows, of whether that hollow space will ever truly be filled. This may have come from a promise you got from God that perhaps seems to you like he has forgotten about. Perhaps it may be a promotion that seemed to have been yours but was given to someone else. Perhaps a business prospect that would have transformed your fortunes but fell through. Perhaps it was renewed health for yourself or a family member, but you've now relapsed. A restored relationship with a spouse or a parent or a child, but dreams have been dashed there. Or perhaps a purpose for your life that seems to be perpetually put off. All these can be reasons for hopelessness and a hollowness to develop within. Today, I am not going to offer a reason for why we experience disappointments, but I would like to offer a reason that says that there is hope in Jesus. We can go from the hollowness of hopelessness to the wholeness of the hope that is in Jesus. Yeah, that's worth a celebration. Thank you. If he could restore the Springboks, he could restore you. We're going to read the story of Joseph from Genesis chapter 37 to Genesis chapter 50. We read of a boy with a bold and brave dream from God. He's enthusiastic about what God has placed in his heart and on his life. But perhaps in the exuberance of his youth, he immaturely boasts to his brothers of how God will use him. And this is just a little side note here for people my age and younger. I believe that God has big plans for our lives and we should believe God with boldness. 
Our dreams should be bigger than our resources and capabilities so that it requires a big God to fulfill them. But before you go boasting to everyone about what God is going to do through your life, perhaps just do a little bit of work. Is that okay to say? Don't go asking to be the CEO straight out of school. Just put in the hard yards behind the scenes where nobody else is watching. And before you go posting on social media, just get to work. A dream will remain a dream until you put in the hard work to achieve it. By all means, share your dreams with those closest to you that you trust to encourage and support you along the journey. But be mindful of how it may be received and where it may well land you. Don't be boastful or handle it immaturely or lord it over others. Because if you do, then you shouldn't be surprised if, like Joseph, you find yourself in a hollow pit. The ones who should have been his biggest supporters became his greatest critics and his loudest opposition. But Joseph's journey had many stages. And there's a probability we'll find ourselves at one stage of his journey. Joseph's journey from dream to reality travailed a valley of hopelessness. Joseph did go from the pit to Pharaoh's palace via Potiphar's house and the prison. But sometimes we read scripture in a bit of a hurry. We don't leave any room to breathe. We can sit for less than an hour and read the whole story of Joseph's life, all 14 chapters. And because we live in a world of instant gratification, we kind of want to go from pit to palace just like that, less than an hour. But Joseph's life is not a cheap story. It's one of wrestling, hope, and hopelessness. It's an actual journey of a lifetime. Joseph was thrown in the pit and sold into slavery at just 17 years of age. He was still a boy when his hopes and dreams were dashed in a pit of despair. He spent 13 years between Potiphar's house and the prison. So he spent his university years and his young working life as a slave and a prisoner. It's not exactly how I imagine he envisaged his 20s. Joseph was discarded in a pit, sold into slavery in Potiphar's house, wrongfully accused and sent to prison, over a period of years and years. Even when he was appointed to Pharaoh's palace, he had no idea how his dream would become a reality. He had no idea how his appointment would lead to God fulfilling his purpose. Almost a full decade passed in his position of prominence in Pharaoh's house before he saw the fulfillment of his promise. There were 22 years between Joseph's dream and the fulfillment of the dream. That journey passed through many valleys of despair, many hollow moments of hopelessness as he lay helpless in a pit or as he served as a slave in a foreign land or as he sat falsely accused in prison or even as he ruled over a people who were not his own. And the fulfillment of his dream was not his immature understanding of him being exalted over his brothers and his family and them bowing down to him but rather the promise of God was fulfilled as he saved their family by serving food. And so it is in service and salvation that he was exalted. Perhaps you see yourself in some part of Joseph's story. Perhaps you received a dream and a promise from God, a purpose 
and destiny for your life. But instead of those closest to you coming around you to support and encourage you on your journey, they ridiculed and dismissed you. Maybe it was because you handled it immaturely, but perhaps it was jealousy or a lack in faith in you. And they spoke something over you like, you'll never achieve that. Perhaps you feel like your dreams have been dashed and you find yourself at the bottom of a hollow, hopeless pit, ready to be sold into slavery of what was not your purpose for your life, just so that you can survive. Perhaps you feel far off from where you had hoped or dreamed or planned or prayed you'd be doing something other than you thought you would do in a place somewhere other than you thought you would be. Perhaps you find yourself serving strangers instead of leading loved ones. Perhaps you find yourself unfairly treated and unjustly trapped in a prison of someone else's making. Perhaps you feel forgotten and neglected by those you helped along the way. Now you're comparing their success with your struggle. Perhaps you feel like a dream is not just dashed, but is dead, leaving you empty and apathetic towards what's next. A shrug of the shoulders because the hurt of hurt, hurt has made the heart sick. You just nah, don't really care. Perhaps you've hardened your heart from the hurt and have decided that self-promotion and self-preservation is the way to, to purpose. Or perhaps you've arrived in your dream and it's just not quite what you imagined it would be. We can lose hope on the journey from our dream to our destiny, from our promise to our purpose, as the road is often through valleys of hopelessness. And while Joseph's dream being fulfilled is in saving his family is a wonderful end to the story, what happens when you're in the pit or you're in the prison and you can't see the palace? What do you do when you're living in the pit of Genesis chapter 37? And you can't see the testimony of Genesis chapter 50. Joseph didn't get to read chapter 50 while he was in chapter 37's pit. We don't get to read the next chapter in our story. We don't get to see how the story is going to end. So what happens when you're stuck <clears throat> in a pit of, hope, of hopelessness and all hope seems lost? We could in this situation run, to, run the risk of finding false hope in things, of putting our hope in the wrong things. Joseph's false hope was in his position in Potiphar's house, which didn't lead to the promise fulfilled, but instead to a prison. His false hope might have been in the prison guard, but he was still stuck in prison. His false hope may have been in Pharaoh's cupbearer, but he forgot about Joseph. His false hope may have been in, even in Pharaoh, but that didn't lead to anything for nine years. All these lead to disappointment or unmet expectations, uh, dashed dreams, and hope deferred, false hope. We all too often get our hopes up for the wrong things. We're hoping he or she will come back. We're hoping the person we met might just be the connection that'll open a door for us in business. We're hoping he or she might say yes to a date. When we place our hope in the wrong things, we only set ourselves up for disappointment to sink us seemingly deeper than we were before. Scripture tells us hope deferred makes the heart sick. And while it is good to have a positive attitude and an optimistic outlook, I mean, 
I, I'm a glass running over type of guy, not even a glass half full. When the Springboks lost 57-0, I told my dad, we're winning the next time we, went to, we go to New Zealand. And we did. <laughs> Yesterday, before the game, I said, we're going to win by 20 points. We almost did. We, we, we won for the first time in Australia for nine years. So having a positive outlook and an optimistic attitude, that's, those are good things. But biblical hope is not rooted in circumstances changing. It is rooted in the unchanging character of our God. Biblical hope, as opposed to blind optimism, is not eagerly awaiting our circumstances changing, but instead holding on to that unchanging character of our God. Biblical hope looks back at the faithfulness of God in order that we may look forward with confidence to a future hope. Scripture tells us that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Christian hope isn't optimism based on the odds. It's a choice to wait for God to bring about a future that's as surprising as a man rising from the dead. Christian hope looks back to the risen Jesus in order to look forward And so we hope expectantly. Hope is a vital ingredient to life and to faith. The famous passage on love in 1 Corinthians 13 esteems hope as one of the three great Christian virtues. These three remain, faith, hope, and love. Scripture tells us that we do not mourn as those who are without hope. Even Hebrews 11, the most famous passage on faith, says faith is the confidence in what we hope for, the assurance of what we do not see. Without hope, we lose our confidence, we lose our assurance, we lose our faith. Hope is an unwavering determination that despite all evidence to the contrary, things will turn out exactly as God intended them to. That's how Joseph could say in Genesis chapter 50, that which was intended for evil, God intended for good, for what is now being accomplished, the saving of many lives. It's how the Apostle Paul could say in Romans 8.28 that we know that in all things God works together for the good of those who love Him and who are called according to His purpose. But how, in the midst of the pit of Genesis 37, do we attain this hope Joseph could attest to in Genesis chapter 50? There's a line in the book of Isaiah that is quoted by Matthew in the gospel. It says, His name will be the hope of all the world. I mentioned earlier when we dedicated the children that there is beauty, meaning, and significance in a name. And we prayed that the Lord would put His name upon the children. Now Isaiah, this quote is from Isaiah, was writing to the people of Israel in a hopeless situation. The nation that was supposed to be God's chosen people to restore his blessing to all nations with Jerusalem as the capital of the world had been conquered by Babylon, the people taken into exile and Jerusalem destroyed. Like Joseph in the prison and the pit, Israel was experiencing the hollowness of hopelessness as their dreams and destiny seemed dash. Their purpose and their promise was in tatters. And in this context... Isaiah writes of a future hope, a servant God would send to restore hope, which Matthew tells us is Jesus. His name will be the hope of all the world. Isaiah was telling us 
that God's plan to restore his blessing and peace to all the world, his plan of healing and wholeness, his plan of salvation and hope would be in a name. And Matthew tells us that name is Jesus. Jesus fulfilled all of God's promises of restoration. And by his triumph over sin and death through the cross and the empty grave, we have this hope that one day all things will be restored to the beauty and blessing of Eden. Heaven on earth, all things will be renewed in Christ. All things healed and whole. And so Jesus ultimately fulfills what Joseph said in Genesis chapter 50. That which was intended for evil, God intended for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Jesus is our eternal hope, but also our very present hope, for he has brought the kingdom of heaven near, here and now. And so we have Christ in us, the hope of glory. Hope has a name, and his name is Jesus. So today, I'd like to give us seven steps to fill the hollowness of hopelessness with the wholeness of the hope in Jesus. Firstly, we need to acknowledge and ask. I think it is important for us to honestly acknowledge where we are at in the journey of our lives. I worry that Many Christians feel like it may be inappropriate or frowned upon to be honest about our feelings. Or worse, think that it might be sinful to acknowledge a sense of hopelessness. Acknowledging where we are is not an admission of defeat or a failure of faith. It is simply a coming to the end of ourselves and there finding the grace and the mercy of God. Great men and women throughout Scripture acknowledged their hopelessness and their need for the Lord. Heck, the prophet Jeremiah wrote a whole book on it. Lamentations. He was lamenting hopelessness. Hannah cried out in deep anguish when she couldn't have a child. David, one of the most celebrated men of faith, wrote twice in the Psalms, Why so downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed in me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise Him my Savior, and my God. Scripture teaches us that it is okay to acknowledge our feeling of hopelessness and that it is common for us to find ourselves with a sense of hollowness or a feeling of hollowness. But Scripture also encourages us to ask ourselves why and to tell ourselves to put our hope in God. Our circumstances may seem like they are not changing. We're waiting for them to change. But the only one who is truly unchanging is God. And his character has proved faithful that he will restore hope again and we will yet praise him. So we can acknowledge our hopelessness and ask God to restore our hope. Secondly, we need to approach and accept. God does not leave us orphaned. And without hope. Instead, he offers an invitation to come to him through his son Jesus and then extends his very presence in his spirit to be our comforter. Hebrews 4 says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus the Son of God, 
Let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. We can approach an empathetic, compassionate, loving Father with confidence and gain access to His mercy and His grace. When Joseph's brothers came down to Egypt in the Great Famine, they bowed down before Pharaoh and his aides in fear. But Joseph was at Pharaoh's right hand. And Joseph had been one of them. And Joseph had compassion on them. And Joseph offered mercy to his brothers. And he offered them something to eat and invited them into his presence. And Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. And he has been one of us. And he offers an invitation of grace and mercy and compassion to his brothers and his sisters. And says, come to me, all you who are wearied and burdened, and I will give you rest. He's experienced our weakness and our testing, all without sin. So let's walk right up to him and get what he is so ready to give. Take the mercy, accept the help. The hope of the gospel, the hope that is in the name of Jesus, is a living hope, one which brings life to any and every situation. We may approach God confidently, no matter our circumstances, and access his hope freely. Thirdly, we need to anchor and armor ourselves. Having grown up on the banks of the river in Red House and having spent years sailing and rowing, I've learned a few things about boats and their need for an anchor. The storms of life come, the winds and the waves bring turbulence, and the boats of our lives need a solid anchor to keep us from being blown and tossed about. Hebrews 6 says, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. The hope of the gospel, our hope in Jesus, anchors our lives through the stormy seasons of life. It's the first Sunday in spring, and that reminds us that seasons come and seasons go. Storms rage, but storms pass. The anchor holds. We had tremendous rains back in 2006, which led to the river in Red House flooding, and most of Port Elizabeth flooded. Uh, it burst the banks and wreaked havoc in Red House. I was just 13 and remember being quite scared at the storm and the water rising closer and closer to our house. It's beautiful to look at when it's over there. It's more intimidating when it's coming home. And so the, the water was lapping up against the front steps that walk into our garden. And my dad went out to close, try and, I don't know what he went out there for. He was just being a dad, I guess. But he was waist deep in, in water. And um, we have this beautiful little braai area next to the river, which on a beautiful spring evening when the river is lapping up against the bank, it's the most beautiful place in all the world to be. But during this flood, that braai area was so deep underwater that an NSRI boat came over our braai area, checking, you guys okay? And I thought, jeepers, that's, that's supposed to be where we braai. 
He's underwater. But in my fear of the unknown, I remember my dad telling me, this too shall pass. He'd been through a few floods before. He also grew up in Red House. He said, this too shall pass. In order to stand firm and be able to say, this too shall pass, we need to be anchored to the hope that is in Jesus. And sometimes storms may feel more like battles raging. First Thessalonians 5 verse 8 says, But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. Our battles often rage, rage in our minds. And so filling our minds with the hope of salvation as a helmet is our way of winning the war. This hope is the ultimate victory attained by Jesus on the cross and through the empty grave. His victory over sin and death. Scripture tells us that death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Thanks be to God, He has given us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Our hope is that we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. Put on the helmet of the hope of salvation. Fourthly, we need to acclimatize to altitude. Anyone who has traveled up country from the coast to play sport at altitude will know the need to acclimatize to altitude. The air has less oxygen in it. And when you run, it feels like daggers piercing your lungs. It is a very unpleasant experience. You get exhausted far quicker, you recover far slower, and you just taste blood for some reason. Living without hope is like trying to run at altitude without acclimatizing. It just feels like there's no breath in your lungs. But Isaiah 40 says, those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faith, faint. Scripture is telling us here that when we hope in the Lord, we'll start soaring at altitudes previously unmanageable for us. Instead of it feeling exhausted, like we've got no wind in the sails, we'll be able to run and not grow weary. We'll be able to walk upright before the Lord and not be faint. God promises that when we hope in Him, He will renew our strength and raise our lives to a different level. Joseph kept his hope in God and went from the prison cell to the palace hall. He went from second in charge to the prison guard to second in charge of, to Pharaoh of all the land. Only maintaining his hope in God would strengthen him for that promotion. Put your hope in God and let him strengthen you for the race of faith marked out before you. Fifthly, we need to assemble an audience. Now, I'm not sure if I've mentioned this before, but I recently got married. And you almost thought that I, wasn't, I was going to get through a whole sermon without mentioning it. Oh, no, no, no. I told you when I was engaged that when I get married, I'm going to tell you that I got married. And I mean, it's been five months and 16 days, so it's still fresh. So just, just it'll keep coming for a while, okay? On our wedding day, um, similar to what the families who dedicated their children did earlier, we committed ourselves to one another before God, as well as family and friends. 
We brought together those closest to us and asked them to support us, encourage us, and pray for us as we journeyed through marriage. We invited them to speak into our lives and into our marriage, to extend and lay hands on us and to pray over us, to sing with us so that we would hold unservingly to the hope that we had professed. And it truly felt like on our wedding day that we were supported by uh, such a great cloud of witnesses, as Scripture puts it, just as if heaven joined earth to stand in agreement. There is hope found in the community of believers. Hebrews 10 says, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we professed, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Assembling an audience is not about showing off to them or trying to gather uh, people around us to gain likes and shares on social media. There's a risk uh, in the world that we've never been more connected, yet never been more isolated. There's a hopelessness that is found in isolation. Assembling an audience is about holding unswervingly to the hope that we profess. It's about spurring one another on towards love and good deeds. It's about encouraging one another. Get people around you who will encourage you and renew your hope in the Lord. Assemble an audience. Sickly, we need to adjust our attitude. I find it interesting that the scriptures specifically tell us that Joseph was thrown into an empty cistern, that there was no water in the pit. And when we're feeling hopeless, we feel like we have nothing to draw from the well within us. It's just empty. But Jesus said that those who come to him will have a well of living water springing up to eternal life. In fact, when Jesus meets the Samaritan woman at the well, we read, and it is no coincidence, that it's Jacob's well on the plot of land that Jacob gave his son, Joseph. And Jesus said, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, speaking of the physical water. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. How do we keep this spring of water within us welling up to eternal life? How do we keep it fresh and fueling to us? We do this by adjusting our attitude to one of gratitude. Our pastoral team and our weekday devotions are going through a series on gratitude. It's amazing what an adjustment to our attitude can do. Cultivating an attitude of gratitude shifts our perspective. It opens our eyes to see all that God has done and continues to do in our lives. It shifts us from hopelessness to seeing a door of hope that is in Jesus. Gratitude opens our eyes to see the goodness and mercy of our God. Gratitude shifts our perspectives from our problems to our hope in Jesus. Adjusting our attitude to one of gratitude springs up within us a well of hope from which we can draw in our time of need. Adjust our attitude to one of gratitude and we will develop a living well of hope within us. And finally, we need to action our assignment. Throughout the ups and downs of Joseph's story, the detours and the uncertainty, Joseph maintained his hope by activating or actioning each assignment God placed in front of him. Joseph learned to serve wherever he was. 
working as unto the Lord, showing that when we humble ourselves before God, He will exalt us in due time. When we're in a position like Joseph, be it a slave in Potiphar's house or an assistant to a guard in your own prison, or even second in command to Pharaoh, what is asked of us? To do everything with excellence as worship to God. Colossians 3 says, Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. When we put into action the assignment God has placed in front of us, and when we do so with excellence and as worship unto God, we stir up hope within us that God will see us and will exalt us in due time. Scripture tells us that we should always be prepared to give an answer for the hope that is within us. And people will know our hope by the way that we work. And our hope is this, that God knows the plans He has for you. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a future and a hope. So today, may we acknowledge our need and ask the Lord for help. May we approach freely and accept His gift of mercy and grace and a restored hope. May we anchor our lives on Jesus and armor ourselves with the hope that is our salvation. May we surround ourselves with an assembly of encouragement and an audience of inspiration. May we spur one another on toward love and good deeds. May we adjust our attitude to one of gratitude and thanksgiving to God. And may we accept the assignment God has placed us on and action it with excellence as worship to Him. Allow the name of Jesus, the hope of all the world, to spring up from within you. Romans 15 says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him, so that you may overflow with help, hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. As we are filled with hope, we get to overflow with hope and so help others that are around us. And Scripture says, He who refreshes others will themselves be refreshed. In order for us to go from hollow to whole in the hope that springs in Jesus, we, re- we need to remember that biblical hope is not rooted in circumstances changing, but in the unchanging character of our God. Hope springs eternal and hope has a name. His name is Jesus. Put your hope in Him. Amen. I'm going to invite you to stand, in, stand with me as we pray. And I'd really like to pray for you that if you feel hopeless in any area of your life, if you feel a hollowness or an emptiness inside, that Jesus will fill you with the wholeness of the hope that is in His name. That hopelessness will give way to hope restored. As I, uh, as I do that, I just want to remind you that there is personal prayer available for you. There will be a team up front to pray for you after the service and in Jeffrey's Bay. If you're on onli- online, please let us know. Our team will contact you in the week to pray with you. But it is a privilege to pray for and with one another. Father, thank you that you have given us a living hope in your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you that you have overcome death and the grave. You have overcome sin. And by your Son, Jesus Christ, we are called your sons and daughters. This is our hope that you are our Father and we are your children whom you love. Father, would you restore hope where there is 
emptiness or hollowness inside, Jesus, would you fill us with your love? Would that well of living water spring up from within us so that we can say, surely I have tasted and seen the goodness of God in the land of the living. May we well up so that we would refresh others so that, and in so doing be refreshed again and again. What a privilege it is to have Christ in me, the hope of glory. So Father, would we leave here today filled with this hope of glory for hope has a name and His name is Jesus in whose name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us this morning, everybody. It's been a privilege to share the morning with you.